The following program is a podcast1.com production. I'm glad you're with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Speaking of ripoffs, today's Clark Rageous moment involves a new surcharge that's appearing at more and more restaurants. I need to tell you how the gotcha works. And wait, I'm not done with gotchas. Coming up a half hour from now, if this spring or this summer you're going to rent a car, if you don't rent cars frequently, you can have your wallet cleaned out at the car rental counter. And most often you don't even realize it's happened till you return your rental car I'm going to tell you how the game is played, how to protect your wallet in just a half hour. Right now, I'd like to give you some positive news, and that is, by the way, I think I forgot to give our web address, Clark.com, and when you have a question for me, Clark.com slash ask. There is a joke here at the studio that the thermostat that controls the temperature in here is a fake one. You go to adjust it, and you think you're going to have it get hotter or cooler. But the belief is, if it's freezing, it's going to stay freezing. If it's boiling hot, it's going to stay boiling hot. I actually don't believe it. I think it's an actual real working thermostat. But it'd be easy to believe that because of the story I shared with you about hotels that have the phony thermostats that no matter what temperature it says that you put it on, that the hotel may not actually permit you to have it at that temperature. Crazy story, right? It was by the columnist Middle Seat, who the Middle Seat is what he writes under, who wrote about the hotels playing games with the thermostats to save them money. And that's why you think you'd have the room at a comfortable temperature, but you're still generally in the winter freezing or in the summer sweating. Well, how about at work? If you work in an office environment, people are always complaining every day of the year about the temp. Either it's too cold or too hot where they sit. And there's a woman who sits not too far from where I bring you the radio show who always has a blanket wrapped around her legs and has a space heater every day she's ever at work. Temperature for her is always too cold. And you can tell this story so many different ways where you work. Would you believe that a new technology is being rolled out where office buildings are going to be able to customize the heating and cooling and the lighting right where you sit? Try to picture that. Tracked by your smartphone, the building is able to know what color light you like, how much light you like, and how much heating or cooling you prefer. I read an explanation of it. The lighting's easy. But the explanation of the heating and cooling, I must tell you, I'm not smart enough. I didn't understand the science at all. But the funny thing 
is that both of them save energy. If you think about an office building, how much money of either, depending on how the utilities are paid, either the landlord's money or the tenant's money, is wasted on lighting and heating and cooling. In our parking garage next to the studio, the lighting automatically senses when someone is there, and so the light stays a very low level of light until it senses a human, and then the light becomes ultra bright, much brighter than lighting would normally be in a garage, and they use these very sophisticated LED lights that bathe the area in light. So somebody walking alone to, uh, I would say his or her, but usually when you talk about fear in a garage, it's a woman walking to her vehicle, that instead of it always being the same dim light, it's dimmer than dim normally, and then brighter than bright when somebody walks. The technologies coming available, remember, the first reason they exist is to save money. The second benefit is that these new technologies coming into buildings make you more comfortable, make you safer. And more and more uh, people building their own building versus a multi-tenant building, when they build a building from the ground up, are putting these systems in and using methods of construction that make the building far more energy efficient and water efficient because over time those costs impact so much what the cost of occupancy is in the building. Gail is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Gail. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I just have a little problem. Okay. Um, We um, brought my mother's car home from a different state and we're selling it on an auction site. And the gentleman who bought it lives in a different state than what we live in, and he banks in an even different state. So he's offered to bring a certified check from his bank, um, and I don't know if that's a good idea or if I should ask for cash. Did you hear your money blowing to smithereens just then? Yes. Very, very dangerous. Is this an eBay transaction? Yes. Yeah, don't. Take the certified check. Don't take okay. a cashier's check. Well, Those are so the, easily counterfeited. I called the bank and asked if he had an account, and they said yes. And then I asked what the difference was between a cashier's check and a certified check. And they told me that at their bank, it's um, a guarantee. But the problem is, uh, whether it's a certified check or a cashier's check, I can sit down now at my computer with my printer, and I can create a, an, a counterfeit check that you cannot tell is counterfeit. And the most telling thing is bankers often can't recognize the counterfeit from the real. Okay. So my preference is that the payment be accomplished since his bank is not doesn't have branches where you live. Is that right? That's correct. Is that the best way 
for you to be safe is a wire transfer. Okay. A wire transfer will give you the security you're looking for. Now, there's also a second issue, and that is making a judgment about a particular person. And you can be, your instincts can be right most of the time, and the individual you're dealing with, sight unseen, you've never met this person, right? Correct. Uh, may seem like a perfectly stand-up person, and you may be well right about that. But what if you're wrong, and the last thing you see is your car driving away, and you have fake funds? Okay. So is cash an option? Oh, yeah. Cash is... It, it may not be safe for that buyer to be traveling across state lines with cash, but yes. Okay. And I thought we'd meet at a bank, and I'll take the cash in and ask for it to be checked, just to make sure. Yeah, that's fine, too. Now you're getting fully paranoid. (laughs) But if you meet a person during banking hours at your bank, Uh you sign the title over at your bank, you do a two-part bill of sale, you know, where it has the date, the VIN number, vehicle description, your name is seller with address, his name is buyer with address, you do all that, you sign the two copies there, each of you keep one, you do all that in your bank branch, and it, are you someone who you've got a bank that you have a good relationship with long term? Yeah. Yeah, so just get them to facilitate handling the transfer of the money for you. Okay. And everything should be fine, and I'm so glad you're asking these questions up front rather than the calls we've had from people who've had the money stolen or their vehicles essentially stolen from them with fake money being paid in return. Susan is with us. Hi, Susan. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, Clark. So something happened to your husband that's not fine. What's that? Well, the company that he works for, their uh, computer system was hacked and all the employee information is uh, now out there somewhere. So somebody has your husband's date of birth, his social security number, his address, and who knows what else in the personal information category they made. Does he get direct deposit of his paycheck? He does, yes. So they may have information on your checking account. I mean, it's that's a real happy day when you find out about a, a full-blown work data breach. Uh, it wasn't a happy day. Yeah, I know. So have you suffered any negative consequences yet? To my knowledge, we have not suffered, only because we had previously froze our credit. Um, we you brilliant to woman, Susan. Well, thank you. I just didn't know the employer offered to, um, to all of the employees to have free credit monitoring for a year, but I didn't know if it would be wise for us to unfreeze our credit to monitor it. No. No, because no. by having your credit frozen... That information of your husband's can't be used to open credit as if they're him. So okay. you're you're like leagues ahead with people who take advantage of credit monitoring. See, it's I don't know how this happened, but lame corporate one oh one is after a company suffers a data breach, they offer this really basically useless credit monitoring and companies pay huge money to offer the credit monitoring to employees or customers, whoever is affected. And credit monitoring is just like a joke, where what you've put in place, the credit freeze, 
that's the real deal. Because well, somebody right. with your husband's social security number and all that other information, they can't do anything other than the one thing that worries me is the checking account with if they were able to get, and this would be a question your husband needs to ask his employer, was part of the information that was hacked, information on the direct deposits for payroll. Because the criminals, if they have your husband's checking account number, that's a whole different game. Because there's a way that criminals can take the account information and debit out of your husband's checking account instead of what direct deposit is for, which is depositing money into your husband's account. Okay. So that would be, of the things you said, that would be the one area that I would be more worried about. And if it turns out they did get that information, this would be a good time for you to think, if you're not at your favorite bank, this might be the best time for you to say, we need to find a new bank or credit union or whatever and move on. Or at least with your your bank, arrange potentially for a new account Okay. That the criminals would not be aware of. All right. Well, I feel comfortable with the bank that we currently have. So I guess my next step would be to contact them. No, I, I think first the employer to find out if, if okay. the payroll information was part of what was breached. They may use an outside payroll service, and only the outside payroll service would have access to that information. And that may be an area of no worry at all or concern. Today's Clark Rageous Moment is about an industry that is in desperate trouble around the country, the restaurant industry, at all price points. Fancy sit-down restaurants, all the way to fast food and everything in between, are having really, really a tough time keeping the doors open at many locations, staying successful. One of the answers they're looking at, I think, is absolutely Clark Rageous. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Regis moment. This is crazy, but now, according to the Wall Street Journal, in multiple states, restaurants, individually owned ones, and chains, because they're dealing with the problem of people's perception that restaurant meals of all different types, are getting too pricey. They are, I know this is just nuts. They have a price on the menu, but then when you get your bill, the price you pay is higher because you're hit with a labor surcharge. Really. Because people have become so price-sensitive And they look at the price of the item. It's kind of like the hotel business with having the resort fee at places that aren't even resorts. So that when you comparison shop looking for a place, a place will look cheaper than it really is. So restaurateurs have decided, hey, if it works for hotels, it'll work for us. And I got to tell you, I hate this idea. I've always hated the hotel surcharges the resort fees or the facility fees or whatever they call it, separate from the price of the room. And now here we are with restaurateurs saying you pay for the food and then you pay separately a charge for the labor. 
This is an idea whose time never should have come. And if you as a restaurateur think it's a good idea, don't break down the trust between you and your customers, because that is Clark Rages. The problem in the restaurant business is that food that you can buy at the supermarket, relatively speaking, per uh, income earned, food prices are the lowest perhaps they've ever been. And so in a restaurant, you've got all those other expenses. You've got rent for your facility, you've got labor costs, credit card processing costs, a lot of things that now in comparison, restaurants look really expensive. So they're looking for any trick to make themselves look more affordable, but people are going to feel tricked and they might not come back. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans proudly supports this podcast. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, it's important to work with someone you can trust, someone who's got your best interests in mind. And with Rocket Mortgage, you'll get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Don't waste time searching through stacks of paperwork. With Rocket Mortgage, you can securely share your financial info to get a mortgage approval in just minutes. You can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure that you get the mortgage solution that's right for you. So whether you're looking to buy a home or refinance your existing mortgage, you can lift the burden of getting a home loan with Rocket Mortgage. Skip the bank. Skip the waiting. Go completely online at quickenloans.com slash save. That's quickenloans.com slash S-A-V-E. Let Rocket Mortgage help you get the exact mortgage solution that you need. Go to quickenloans.com slash save. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Glad you're with us on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you and your money. Speaking of your money, I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our website. Our deal site is ClarkDeals.com. I rent cars far, far, far more than the typical earthling. I rent somewhere between 20 and 30 car rentals a year. Probably kind of typical average. Most people may rent a car once or twice a year or once every other year. It's not a very common thing. And the car rental companies are having a very difficult time adjusting to Uber and Lyft. Uber and Lyft are taking some of the demand out of the car rental business, and people who may have rented a car, particularly business travelers who may have rented in the past, are much more likely now on a lot of the trips they take to simply use Uber and Lyft to get around. And so the car rental companies are desperate to maintain revenue. And some are trying to improve their service, and that's how they're doing it. Others are taking ethical shortcuts. I need for you, if you don't rent cars a lot, to be aware of some of the tricks of the trade. Something that I have can't be a coincidence. Twice this year already, I have returned cars and done so as I was expected to do. And then the receipt generated when I turned in the car 
had recalculated into a much higher rate than my quote was for. And I've been hearing, I've been actually reading reports on blogs that my experience is not unique, that some independent car rental agencies, typically franchises of brand names, are so desperate to try to maintain revenue that it's the weirdest bait and switch ever. You have your contract, you leave with it, the price on it, and when you return, magically the price goes up. What I had to do in both cases was I had to take the time to go back to the rental counter because you always want to resolve a problem in travel while the problem is occurring and not later. One time I got an apology. They said, oh, that's something crazy our computer is doing, and they fixed it immediately. Another time, I was the second person in line complaining about the price being magically reconfigured And the person behind the counter said, I am not allowed to fix this. This has to go to a manager. And there's no manager available. And the guy in front of me and I were both looking at each other like, what a racket. But we both eventually, because we stayed in touch with each other, because, you know, misery loves company. We both eventually got our refunds by being persistent. But just know it is a tough time in the car rental business. And if you look to rent a car with a more UFO kind of company because they got such a cheap price, go read what people are saying on TripAdvisor or Yelp about that individual location of that car rental agency. And you may find pretty quickly you're like, wow, there's a reason they're offering such a cheap deal just to get me in to take advantage of me. Now, the biggest things that people are being taken advantage of are first with all the pseudo semi insurance stuff that they'll try to get you to take out that will usually cost far more per day than what your actual car rental costs and with those do your homework in advance check with your own auto insurer see if you're covered for temporary use of a rental car virtually 100 percent of the time you will be and then second so many credit cards offer backup of what your own auto insurance doesn't cover. So that if you're in an incident or accident in the rental car, you'll be exactly in the same position you would be with your own insurance, but probably better because the out-of-pocket you would normally have in your own car, you won't have because the credit card will pick up that part. Next thing is they're driving me crazy at the counter trying to get me to buy a tank of gas up front. Never do that. Never do that. What you do instead is you say, I'll buy the gas before I return the car and then do it. Because otherwise you're left in a position where you've got to bring the car back on fumes or otherwise you paid way too much for fuel. And then I had something recently that is now starting to be a problem for people that USA Today's travel guy wrote about is I booked a car, got to the counter, and they said, we don't have any of the car you reserved, so would you like this or this? I said, well, I'll take whatever you want to give me. And then they wanted me to pay 17 more dollars a day, which was funny because my original rental was $13. So it would have gone from 13 to 30 When they're out of cars and the size you booked, 
They just have to put you in another car at no additional cost. They can't use that as leverage to then throw the rate out the window that you've paid or booked for and then charge you more money. Be careful at the counter. Remember, do your homework up front and look through what you are signing thoroughly, all the rates you're going to pay, everything you're going to be responsible for before you get in that car and drive away. Last thing, I thoroughly inspect a car rental when I leave the rental plaza. If there's anything that looks like a significant dent or anything like that, I take a picture of it with my smartphone. When I return, I walk around the vehicle and take a short video so that if later they say, oh, you damaged this, that, or the other, I have my video. I use Google Photos, so I have unlimited free photo and video storage. I've got the documentation that I didn't damage it. John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, John. Hello. How are you this morning, Clark? I'm doing great, thank you, John. I hope I can help your day get better. Well, I hope so, too. Clark, the short story that I have is, how do you buy car insurance if you don't own a car? Now, the logical question is, why would you want to buy car insurance if you don't own a car? Because you rent cars. Because I rent cars. And in my state, and probably in most states, rental car companies serve out only the absolute minimum liability as required in that state for the car. So if you want more liability insurance, how do you get it? Do you own a home? No. Okay. You took away my easiest answer (laughs) because then what you do is you buy something called an umbrella insurance policy that for a couple of hundred dollars a year provides coverage for any liability situation that you create in your life. And generally, that's piggybacked on homeowner's insurance. So it becomes a much tougher thing, and it's been a conundrum that I've faced in the past when people don't own a car. And some insurers will sell you a form of insurance called non-owner car insurance. Okay. And do you have anything like um, like a renter's insurance policy or anything like that? Yes. Okay. So if you do, the company that issues it might be able to sell you a non-owner car insurance policy. And it specifically is for what you mentioned. If you cause an accident when you're renting a car or even borrowing one from someone, it covers you for the damages to the other person's car as well as if anybody gets hurt. That's good. The little bit of uh, experience we have with non-owner car insurance, though, I'm in awe that this is true, but it seems to be very expensive. Generally not. Non-owner car insurance, because the number of days that, uh, that someone would rent a car tends to be so low that the policies, even though per day, the, if you work it out to a per day cost, they're expensive, the overall cost of the policies are not expensive. Usually, 
if I remember right, a couple hundred dollars a year. We'll look into that further then, because that seems to be the the best choice. We own a car right now, but the truth is we use it so little. We live in a community with great public transportation, and we walk a tremendous amount that uh, we're using our car, get this, about 800 miles a year. Wow. So it makes no sense to own one Yeah, just anymore. dump the car, right. So uh, and, one of our producers, Joel, just found that Progressive Insurance is a company that sells those policies generally for two to $300 a year. Good. We will look into that, and I very much appreciate your help. And let's hope that Joel's research is correct. <laughs> I'll let you know if it's not. Okay. Have a great day. And, you know, by the way, you should consider uh, using one of the car services where you can uh, pay a subscription and rent a car when you need it occasionally, and insurance comes with the rentals. Again, what we've discovered on those, and this is not a universal answer because we've done minimum research, but it appears that insurance that comes with them is also the absolute minimum as required in the state that... that So you're worried again about the overall liability aspect, and I understand that. You're a smart man to be worried about that because a moderate injury in an accident can lead to massive medical bills and exposure to liability. Hub is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, how are you today? Good, how are you doing? Great, thank you. So you own a rental property. You're a landlord. I am, for better or for worse. Well, for me, it's been better. I've been a landlord since 1983, so I like it. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, for the most part, it works out until I leave for vacation, and then I get the phone call. <laughs> but isn't that how life is? Yes. Yeah. So I, I roll with it. So. Sure. How can I help? Well, I was calling because right now I have my primary residence with a mortgage rate of like 3.5%. And then I have the, the rental, which is actually a modular, which I bought years ago because I owned it on three sides of the property and it was a mess from the previous owner. So I bought it to clean it up and then figure I'd just rent it. And that mortgage is like 5.5%. And I've had several mortgage lenders try to convince me to say, hey, take, since I have a lot of equity in my primary residence, to get rid of that one mortgage on the modular, which I know isn't always a great investment, and then roll that into my primary residence and then have no mortgage on that. And that I would save, because I guess with a primary residence, you get a better rate than you do with a second home if it's Definitely, under, under but 60 miles away. How much balance is there on the 5.5% loan? Um, it's 92000 Yes, yeah, so it would be worth it to do just what you've been advised. Right, okay. Because I, mean, I guess I was wondering, like, because I know, like, with taxes, too, I'm able to write off. Yeah, but, uh, you know, the, the whole thing about the deductibility of interest is so oversold. Right, okay. So if you have an opportunity to refi your principal home, how many years do you have left on that mortgage? It's a 30-year mortgage. I'm probably ultimately only three years into when I refinance before but I've been paying it down, so I really, if I kept payments going at the regular rate, that I've got, I think, 21 years left. All right. What if you did this? Let's put you into a bit of a, a bind for a second and think okay. about if you could handle this. Yeah. Since you're somebody who's voluntarily prepaying on a loan balance anyway. Yep. If you went into a 15-year loan yep. 
and you put the two of them together on a 15-year loan, right? that would be a really great move right now. Right, okay. And the reason is is that the interest rates on 15 years have quite a spread on the 30s. So you could even lower the mortgage rate on your principal loan. That would be quite a deal. Yeah, okay. So I, yeah, I should get somebody to give me a quote on what that would be, because I think ultimately with the 3%, that I'd probably be cl- saving quite a bit every year. Definitely. And I'm not sure how that plays into it. I'm, I'm not sure on a rental, I always forget like what my accountant says, but am I, am I writing off the interest of that place as a... Um, as an expense. As an expense. Yeah, but also you're depreciating the property. I, I again, would not allow the tax angle to influence that. If you can get... A, essentially cutting the interest rate almost in half right. on that rental property. Yeah. You reduce your debt to the point where you're paying off both loans and what would be one loan in 15 years. Yeah. You're taking advantage of the big spread between 15s and 30s. Okay. I think it's just a great win for you. Right. Okay. You're best off talking with a mortgage banker or with a credit union right. okay. or a small local community bank that you know in the area you live in. Right, okay. And but, then I guess my other hesitation in the past has been like, well, like financially, I'm fine right now. I'm making decent income and all that. It's like if times got tighter, I'd be more at risk of losing my primary residence. That's true. But you're not that kind of person. I mean, right. somebody who studiously is prepaying on a loan, I'm not worried about you. Right. The default rate on 15-year loans is about nothing. Right, because okay. the mentality of somebody who will take on a 15-year loan is someone who hates debt and is going to get the payment done. And just gauging your personality, listening to you on the air, that's who you are. I think you'd be in good shape with that 15-year refi. When you have a question for me on the Clark Howard Show, go to clark.com slash ask. And Joel, who do we have one from? Clark, it's from Charlie, and he says, I want to know what you think about buying prescription glasses and where should I do it? The least expensive way to buy prescription glasses is to order them over the internet. There are many online sellers. If you just do a search for cheap eyeglasses, you'll see many different sellers. The biggest of them all is one called Zenni, Z-E-N-N-I optical.com, but there are many others as well. And you'll be able to buy a simple prescription of frames and lenses for single vision lenses for somewhere between $10 and $15 with a wide selection of frames. If you have bifocals or progressive lenses, it'll run you up to a price starting at around $30 to about $50 for your pair of glasses. The reality is these costs are one-fifteenth to one-twentieth what the average person pays for a pair of prescription glasses. So that is the cheapest option. Consumer Report says the best option remains the most expensive, going to a traditional optometrist and having glasses ground locally by an individual running his or her own practice. Second best is Costco Wholesale. So if you ask best, that would be kind of the case. If you ask me cheapest, it would be one of the onlines. A compromise is Warby Parker, W-A-R-B-Y Parker, a fast-growing seller of high-fashion prescription glasses, but is also very inexpensive. Okay, here are some really surprising car facts for you. In Churchill, Canada, residents leave their cars unlocked. 
That's in case someone needs to escape a polar bear. It's true. And in Sweden, drivers are required by law to keep their headlights on at all times. Day, night, rain, sunshine, doesn't matter. And now, here's another interesting and actually helpful thing about cars that you might not know. TrueCar also helps people get used cars. That's right. TrueCar isn't just for new cars. Their certified dealer network also has an inventory of over 700,000 pre-owned cars nationwide. So whether you're looking for a new or used car, you can get real pricing on actual inventory and a better buying experience through the TrueCar certified dealer network. Oh yeah, here's another fun fact. TrueCar customers can see if they're getting a good or great price before they buy. They're also more likely to enjoy a faster buying process when they connect with their TrueCar certified dealers. So when you're ready to buy that car, new or used, visit TrueCar and enjoy a better car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. I'm glad to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you being empowered with knowledge so you can take more control of your financial future. My key goal? For you to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our website. Clarkdeals.com is our bargain site. There are times that you feel the advice that you get from me is no deal. And that's important to me because this is not like a normal talk show. This show is about you and your future. We all learn from each other. And you count on me to give you advice that you can trust and put to work. But there are times you may feel I've blown it, that I'm misguided, that I'm just wrong. And I need that feedback from you because I'm just one person and we're all works in progress. So that's why we have Clark Stinks. It's where you can guide me in ways that I can serve you better. So you go to Clark.com, you go to Clark Stinks, you post where you feel like I need to be on an improvement line, and then our producer, Krista, goes through the posts on Clark Stinks, and we share them here on the air. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. All right, let's get right into it. Clark, I had a great time meeting you and your producer, Joel, last year at a financial conference in San Diego, but I can't believe that you still haven't taken a shower. Just wanted to let you know that you misinformed your consumer, Carl, and smelled like rotten eggs when you scared him and his wife into thinking they would have a large tax liability when they could easily avoid any immediate taxes by taking the pension distribution rollover option. As you might recall, Carl called in and was not sure which option to take when his wife retires from a big retailer and the decisions they would make regarding her pension. Well, you mentioned that he should take the full distribution, but failed to mention that he could simply roll over the funds into an IRA and then establish an immediate annuity that could pay every month for the rest of their lives, exactly what a pension would do, or they could simply choose to invest the funds. More importantly, they wouldn't have a tax liability when choosing the option to withdraw funds from the pension plan. Please take a shower right away. P.S. Joel, make sure to send me an email when you visit Tampa for our delicious Cigar City Brewery. First drink is on me. Definitely in for that. You don't have to ask me twice. <laughs> well, then, do you want to answer the Clark Stinks post? I'll let you handle that portion. 
So the issue that, and I appreciate the post, and it's pretty technical, and it concerns the issue that so many people retiring this year and over the next few years are going to face, and that is uh, we're in the last wave of where a lot of people still have pensions. And the question is, what's the best method of being paid out on the pension? And the answer that I gave I failed to address the tax side of it and also the idea of essentially creating your own private pension if you're worried about the financial solvency of your former employer. And so my answer gets at best an I for incomplete. Clark and skunk both have five letters and end with a K and the similarities may not end there. I have heard Clark on numerous occasions cite the studies that show the U.S. ranking behind many other countries in terms of lifespan and concluding that our healthcare system is to blame. This is blatantly incorrect, as these com- comparisons are not comparing similar populations and do not control for important variables. First of all, the U.S. has a very high rate of babies with low birth rates, which have a very high mortality rate. This correlates with our many teenage pregnancies and not with our health care system, which is second to none in the survivability of such births. Furthermore, the U.S. counts all births that show any signs of life, while other countries skew the statistics by not counting births which the, in which the infant dies within 24 hours, is less than 12 inches long, weighs less than a pound, or is born before 26 weeks. Secondly, these studies do not control for things such as drug abuse, obesity, or ethnic diversity, all of which contribute to shorter statistical lifespans, but none of which are the results of inferior health care. Finally, these studies do not control for fatal accidents, which cannot be blamed on our health care system. Controlling for this moves U.S. lifespans into the number one in the world, even without controlling for all the aforementioned variables. The medical facilities in the U.S. provide the best health care in the world, bar none. The fact that we pay so much for our care can be largely traced to the way we pay for it, or rather the way insurance companies and the government pay for it, removing all incentive for anyone to shop. The reason is there are no transpa- that there is no transparency in pricing is because virtually no one pays directly for his own care, and it's against one's best interest to shop around. Find a way to negate third-party payer effects, and the cost of health care in the U.S. will plummet, and we will have even better results. So that's the second post in three weeks talking about the um, distortion in how various nations account for lifespans. And Krista, that's the second time you've read in three weeks from somebody about the way we account for infant mortality. And on those I hope steps, I didn't repeat a post. Maybe I had no. You Krista did not. Moment. It's a different post. Okay. Or maybe it was enough in there that was different than the prior one. So I don't think you repeated one. Well, if so, I did, I stink. No, 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 I don't <laughs> think you repeated that. But the thing about, let's talk about the issue of the stats. If the stats I'm using are faulty, and that's part of the argument I make about how we're not getting what we pay for, and I'm proven to be wrong using bad stats, I apologize for that. The poster and I, though, agree 100% that if we're going to create a more efficient healthcare system in the United States, in terms of the cost of it, it has to be by eliminating our whole uh, third-party payer system. And my belief, and I've felt this for I don't even know how many decades, 
is that we need to go to a system where we only have catastrophic care insurance and that other than a catastrophic occurrence that everything for healthcare is free market and if you chose to buy any coverage for it you would buy it but that everybody would have access to catastrophic care and that would change the whole pricing equation in the United States dramatically and amazingly quickly Let's change the tone a bit. Clark, I listen to you all the time when you talk about membership clubs, and you never mention BJ's. Do they not even deserve an honorable mention next to your precious Costco? I have shopped at all three at some point over the years, and they seem relatively the same to me. So what's the deal, stink... What's the deal, stink man? Am I missing out on huge savings shopping at BJ's? Give us the real deal on how these clubs rank. We already know who holds number one slot. Starts with a C and ends with an O. Blah, blah, blah. You know the rest. I love BJ's Wholesale Club. And the reason that you don't hear me talk about them much anymore is our listenership is so widely dispersed around the country. Only a small segment of our listenership is in territory served by BJ's Wholesale Club. So I have been a member of BJ's Wholesale Club for such a long number of years, and I am a believer in the 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 club and the way it runs and the deals that are there. I just put a 9-volt private label, Berkeley & Jensen, their private label battery brand, into a smoke detector that was making all kinds of racket, and that's how I got it to stop making the racket, was with my heavily discounted private label BJ's Wholesale Club battery. All right, and along, we're just going to stick with the Wholesale Club theme. Clark, in your comparison shopping between Aldi and Costco, you chose Aldi as being the best buy on dog food since it was the cheaper purchase. Let me ask, would you give your child corn as the main ingredient in a meal? Would you give that to them each meal for days on end? I would think not. Yet that is what you're doing when feeding Shep brand dry dog food to your dog. Corn is the number one ingredient in it. Not only that, but the first 10 ingredients listed are controversial ingredients in a review at dogfoodadvisor.com. Bottom line, Shep is a plant-based dry food using a limited amount of meat and bone meal as its main source of animal protein thus earning the brand a one star. Not, re- not recommended. Kirkland brand dry dog food, on the other hand, has only two controversial ingredients listed, and they are numbers 7 and 12, respectively, on in the ingredient list. The bottom line, Kirkland Signature is a plant-based dry dog food using a moderate amount of named meats as its real sources of animal protein, thus earning the brand a four stars. Maybe you don't care what your dogs get fed, and money is the bottom line for you, but I would hope that you want to feed your dog quality food that will provide your pup with boundless energy and keep him or her in good health for years to come. The health of my dogs is certainly worth paying a little more for quality kibble that will keep their coat shiny and help to keep them in good health. So I love it when my wife posts on Clark Stinks. <laughs> she actually, for our dogs, doesn't use dog food from Aldi, doesn't use dog food from Costco. She uses some kind of, of designer dog food that when I'm sent to pick it up, I have to be resuscitated <laughs> at the cost for the dog food because it's supposed to be so great for our dogs. I, I'm someone who, anytime anything comes up where it involves food and 
the issue of nutrition, even if it's for pets, any advice I'd give is only price-oriented, not in terms of the nutritional value. Clark stated that a person could use their Roth IRA as an emergency fund. The problem with that is that the money needs to be in it for five years or face taxation, which would be an actual double tax on the money, seeing that it's after-tax money to begin with. Thank you for that. That is something that we've had posted several times over the last couple of years. And with Roth IRAs, it depends on the nature of the funds going into the Roth, whether you have to wait five years before your contributions are withdrawn. I remember when this came up the first time, I went back and read the rules. And unless I can't comprehend, they are they are tax rules, unless I can't comprehend, and I've blown this one again and again, it is my understanding of the rules that unless it is a rollover from an IRA or from a 401k that then is reclassified as a Roth, that the that's where the five-year period comes into effect. If it's money that's simply been contributed to a Roth, the contributions are not subject to the five-year waiting period. Again, if I'm wrong on that, uh, let's hear from somebody because this has come up so many times. <laughs> All right. Um, here's one about uh, pr- pr- a word. I'll just put it that way. Clark, come on, man. The word is wheelbarrow, not wheelbarrel. Did you know that? Okay. I almost choked. I was drinking water because <laughs> I was waiting to hear what word I had fouled up this time. Uh-huh. Wheelbarrow. Uh-huh. B-A-R-R-O-W. I know that's how it's spelled, but you say wheelbarrow. No, people think it's wheelbarrow because that seems to kind of make sense, but it's barrow. Okay. I didn't write it. Okay. I didn't write it, so. I'm still going to mess that one up. Okay. That's okay. I think a lot of people do. All right. Well, I appreciate your posts, and I'll tell you what, on that raw thing, that one really just, since it comes up so much, I'm going to go read the rules again, and next week on Clark Stinks, if it turns out that that I have been getting that one wrong, I'm going to go on as part, we'll read that post again about okay. the Roth. Sounds good. And I will go on and correct it, because that would be terrible as often as I answer those questions if I've given that advice wrong. All I want right. to hear from you. Go to Clark.com and post at Clark Stinks how you feel I can serve you and your fellow listener better. Let's talk with Gert on the Clark Howard Show. How are you? Fine. How may I serve you? Well, um, I've been looking on Credit Karma, and since I arrived in the U.S. three years ago, uh, I've been able to raise my, my credit history to a decent number. Uh, from zero because I didn't have any. And I also saw that there is something like an auto insurance rating, but it is very hard to find what influences that and how I can get this higher. The auto insurance form of a credit score is actually similar enough to a normal credit score that the factors that are most influential in you improving your score overall will also 
pretty much help your auto insurance credit score. And so having credit and paying every bill on time and using a small amount of the available credit you have will also very heavily influence how your auto insurance credit score number reflects. What number have you been able to move to from zero? I'm now at 751 when it comes to uh, normal credit score. That's fantastic. That is absolutely fantastic. And what does it show for your auto score? It's 815, what is considered to be very bad. 815 is not bad. Well, according to Credit Karma numbers, that's actually very bad. And other people that are actually writing on that website are also saying that there, it's hard to find the link because my credit score has gone up most of the time, but my auto insurance score has been all over the place. So you have, at this point, an uh, auto insurance policy? Have you had yeah, one? I have. I have one. Okay, so if you have that and you've had no claims... Nope. It, then time will be the healer of that. Okay. And I'm going to do some research... Jordan, get back with you if I need to revise that answer. But to my knowledge, you handling your credit well and you having been an active user of auto insurance by itself should give you a steadily higher auto insurance credit score. I would not fret about that number, but it's just one of many, many forms of credit analyses that are done on us. Here's an interesting fact for you. There are nearly one million new books published in the U.S. alone every year. So if you like to read, how do you choose what you're going to read? Well, that's where Fully Booked by Kirkus Reviews comes in. You see, Kirkus has been one of the top book review publications for over 80 years. They do a deep dive on thousands of titles every year, including interviewing best-selling authors and telling you what might be the hot new release before everyone else knows. And it's coming to Podcast One in just a few weeks. So keep your eyes and ears open for Fully Booked by Kirkus Reviews. Stay tuned for 60 seconds of AP News headlines right after this podcast. So glad you're with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our website. When you have a question for me, Clark.com slash ask. And I want to bring something to the table that is something that I do with my kids, and this was true when my oldest was a teenager, my teenager's teenager, my uh, preteen when he becomes a teen. I've always had a rule that if you, as a kid, find yourself in a situation that you're like, oops, I shouldn't be here. This is a, this is a bad thing to be in. Could be a party or whatever they're at, and there's stuff going on that... They don't want to be around. We have kind of like a safe harbor. It's always okay to call us, and we'll come get you, whatever it is, and you're not going to be in trouble because we want you out of a situation that could be bad for you, dangerous, whatever. And a lot of parents do that with their kids. But there are times that a teenager 
will not reach out to you when they should. And it's because they're in a situation where they don't have an easy way to contact you and and not feel like they're going to look bad with their crowd or their friends or whatever because peer pressure is more intense with the typical teen than maybe we realize. We may have lost track or forgotten what it was like for us to be teens. So I was especially interested in an item that was in good housekeeping. I don't read good housekeeping, but one of our crew members does, and saw an item and gave me something that was about a blogger named Bert Folks. And Bert came up with something called the X-Plan. He, for a living, works with kids who have had addiction troubles. And he was recently with a recovery group, and he asked this question. How many of you found yourself in situations where things started happening that you weren't comfortable with, but you stuck around mainly because you felt like you didn't have a way out? 100% of the teens raised their hands. 100%. And being in that situation with bad stuff going on, got them into bad stuff. So this was his idea that he calls the X-Plan. You tell your teenager to text the letter X to mom or dad or big sister, big brother, aunt, uncle, whoever it is. And that X is like, I need to get out of wherever I am. And then what you do is you call them and you pretend that there's a family emergency. Something's happened. I got to come get you right now. And so the kid is in a position to say, there's something wrong with my family. I hope nobody's gotten hurt or whatever. They're coming to get me right now. I got to go. And it gives a kid an easy way to extricate himself or herself from a situation they don't know how to get out of. Now, not every kid is going to avail himself or herself of it, but a lot of kids will to get out of harm's way. Think about it as a parent, giving your kids safe harbor. And I I can't tell you how many times I've heard a parent of a teen say, oh, my kid's such a good kid, they'd never do blah, blah, blah. Stop sailing up denial. A lot of stuff goes on with teenagers that, quote-unquote, good kids get themselves into. Be honest with yourself as a parent and give your kid an outlet to get out of what could be an uncomfortable or troublesome situation. Janet joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Janet. Hi. Janet. Yes. You have people calling and bugging you. Why? <laughs> Why are they bugging you, Janet? Well, somehow my name got mixed up with one of my neighbors, and they think they're calling her residence, but they're calling me, and it's a debt collector, 
And I don't owe anybody any money, so I know it's not for me. Okay, so when the collector calls, <laughs> is it just one collection agency or is it several? Uh, just one. They've called me several times. And when they call you, do they think they're calling you to try to get your neighbor to call them? Or are they calling you thinking they're reaching your neighbor? They're calling me thinking they're going to reach her. Okay. So a lot of times when people owe money, they don't make it that easy to find them. Find them, you know, for people to to be able to reach them. So the collection agency used something that generally is referred to as an electronic crisscross directory, which what that means in English is that they're using an online database and they think that the address they have is a solid hit for that individual. Are you in a multifamily, like a, a townhouse community, condo, apartment, anything like that? I'm in a small apartment building. Okay, that's what happened. They think that they got a positive hit on that address, and they don't. They may not realize it's an apartment, com- small apartment complex. They may think it's the house that maybe you're a roommate of that individual. Oh, okay. So do they ever tell you that they're calling for the purpose of collecting a debt, or do they call and say, we have a personal matter to discuss with XYZ person? They did not tell me why they were calling, uh, but I asked them the name of their company, and when we hung up, I looked it up on the Internet and found out it was a debt collection agency. Okay, so the person who called you multiple times? Yes, three times. All right. They're following the law because under the law, if they're not reaching the individual that owes the debt, they can't discuss it with you. They just have to say, I have a personal matter to discuss with blank blank. Oh, okay. So the crazy thing with the law, this is going to blow your mind, Janet. Ready? Ready. All right. The person who actually owes the money under the law can tell that collector, even if they owe the money, they can tell them by writing them that they're never allowed to contact them again, and then they can't. You, being the person who does not owe the debt, (laughs) you don't have that same right under federal law. So, (laughs) isn't that crazy? That's that's very weird. (laughs) So what I would do is I would explain the next time somebody calls, say, hey, I looked you up on the Internet, I understand you're a collection agency. I live in a small apartment building. That other person may live in this building, but I don't know them. Mm-hmm. And could you take my number out of your system? And my my experience with the debt collectors is that they don't want to waste their time on somebody who doesn't owe them a debt. Mm-hmm. But if you have that conversation, then the fourth time a collector calls, and they call a fifth, the sixth, the seventh time, Start recording the phone calls. Okay. You know, they'll tell you you're on a recorded line. You tell them they're on a recorded line. Mm-hmm. And you inform them again that they're calling the wrong number and to remove that number from their database. Because ultimately, you're then in a position that if they do keep calling you once you've done all that, then you can sue them for harassment. Collection agencies don't like to be paying money out. They like to collect money. Right. Do I have to worry about this reflecting in any way on my credit? Oh no, no. This oh, okay. is just oh, about this is just about an annoyance in your life. Okay, 
that's what I was worried about. Did you hear me, Janet, tell the story about how I have a cell phone number now from one of the things I've been testing that was somebody who owed everybody on Earth money? No. So it's really funny because I'll answer it on speaker and, and let people listen to how the collectors behave uh-huh. when I answer the call. And they're all over the place. There are collectors that are very respectful. There are collectors that uh, believe me immediately when I say, you know, I'm not the person you're looking for. I've only had this number so many months. And then there are others who, who think I'm just a liar and I'm the person and they start getting really ugly with me and cussing and all that. It is, it's a real experience seeing how the collection industry behaves. And it is every type of collector you could think of. Scott's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Scott, you have a disaster involving a wedding, and it's not the bride and the groom matching. It's the wedding itself. What happened? Um, Yes, good afternoon, Clark. Um, This took place uh, the first week in January through the second week of January and went to the Caribbean, specifically Mexico. We had 38 guests total to go down there for our daughter's wedding, and once upon check-in, he indicated to me that I didn't have a junior suite, only had a regular room, and I had the receipt from the actual travel agent and from the broker that both stated junior suite. And it took three hours of arguing with them to finally get my room, and not only me, another guest also. Um, but just generally overall, um, no ice, the bait and switch for the different types of meals that they had there. And, but probably the biggest kicker is that 16 of the guests of the 38 got sick, and we all came on basically different flights, so it probably couldn't have been flight-oriented. It would have been some kind of food-based thing. I believe so, but not um, anything concrete or any concrete evidence of, uh, that it was food-oriented because it was more like a flu issue. I mean, people had to go to pharmacies and try and find some type of relief because of the sickness and just basically ruin the whole trip. I mean, there was numerous things. It did rain down there quite a bit. And um, What's the good part? Do you at least like your son-in-law? Yes. Okay. The wedding turned out perfect. They (laughs) did give us a break for three or four hours for the wedding day, so that was a positive um, overall, the staff down there was very friendly, meaning the lower-tier workers were super, but the management and everyone above them were terrible. So it, the, the general drill is you had to fight for everything you got that you thought just came with your booking, including the caliber of room you were supposed to have. Right. I even had to fight for the room that I paid extra yeah. for. And everything about the experience was just miserable. Absolutely. All right. So you said something interesting. You said you booked through a travel agency that then booked the trip through a wholesaler. Is that the deal? So you have a travel agent, you have a wholesaler, then you have the property itself all involved in the mix here. Yes, that's correct. All right. What have you asked for from, because the people you go to with your grievances, the travel agent that booked the trip for you. Well, actually, I called the wholesale broker. Well, that's a waste of your time. Yes, and then and they don't. Let me tell you something about the wholesaler. The wholesaler doesn't care about you any day of the week, any day of the year, because you're not their. You, you are not their customer. Right. So I went back to the original point and sent an email 
a week after I got back from the trip, um, documenting all the chronological events. And what did you ask for specifically? Um, pretty much in a nutshell, um, I just said I feel that since more of the 16 of the guests got sick, some financial compensation would be in order. Um, or any suggestions or comments from your end would be... Okay, let me help you with that. All right. Nobody's going to be interested in helping you if you just, this went wrong, and this went wrong, and this went wrong, and this went wrong, and we'd like something back. Instead, you need to, by phone call, or better in person, you need to sit down with the travel agency owner, him or herself, go over everything that went wrong, and see if they can get concessions for you from the wholesaler. Taking it out of the height of the travel agent is not really going to going to work because they get such a small part of the action anyway almost all the money goes the wholesaler but the only power with the wholesaler is with the travel agent but be very specific what it is you seek and reasonable what you seek but through the travel agent is how to get it done i'm glad that you like the son-in-law though jesse yes you're my hero did you know you were my hero why Because you are asking me about something that huge numbers of people need, and almost nobody ever buys it. Oh, yeah. It scares me to live in a building with other people that are just sort of negligent as far as safety goes. It freaks me out. So you're interested in buying renter's insurance? Yes, sir. Fantastic. Renter's insurance is so dirt cheap and tends to cost, uh, depending on local market and how much coverage you buy, somewhere 10 to $20 a month. Yeah, I find it be very cost-effective, I mean, as far as that goes. But then I was worried that I don't have enough coverage for the items I have and who's the best to deal with, and I trust you. Because I love your show and I love you Aww. and your whole staff. Well, you're very sweet to say that. So the starting point usually is going to be whoever writes your automobile insurance. Okay. That's It's usually best with something like renter's insurance to not separate it from other insurance you have. Do you have car insurance? Yes. Yeah, so just call them and get a quote from them for the renter's policy. Okay. They don't want to ruin a long-term relationship with you if there's a claim on the renter's policy when you have other lines of business tied in with them. Okay. And it's up to you to estimate how much you think your stuff is worth. And I can mm-hmm. make a couple of suggestions to you. One is that you accept a deductible on your possessions, usually of about 250 or $500. Okay. And that whatever policy you buy has what's known as replacement value to it. Okay. You Thank never you. want to be in a push and pull with your insurer if let's say your stuff stolen or there was a flood in your unit or uh, i don't mean like a like a federal flood with water rising because that's a different oh, thing sure. like i mean like overflowing uh, and coming through the exactly exactly okay. something like that you don't want to then be in a fight with them where they say well your tv is three years old so we're going to give you twelve dollars for it with the okay. replacement value they have to replace the TV as if it was brand new when it got destroyed. Yeah, mine's 15 years old, by the way. No way! (laughs) Yes. And I am not, I'm not cheap. I call it creative spending. Getting the most for your money. 
Well, you know, we are now at a point that people are dumping their flat screen TVs to go to the next generation of flat screens. Mm-hmm. You may be able to replace your TV with somebody's flat screen they don't love anymore, and mm-hmm. somebody might even give you one. Thanks for listening to the Clark Howard Podcast. Download new episodes every Monday through Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. I'm Mick Garris. When it comes to horror, you might know me as a writer, producer, and director. But I also love making people open up. I'm getting together with the most fascinating people in fright filmmaking. I'm going to pick their brains and find out what they know. But if they've got any secrets they're determined to keep, I have ways of making them talk. Download new episodes of Postmortem with Mick Garris every other Wednesday at PodcastOne.com, the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe on iTunes. What we're learning about the Manchester bomber. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. The father of the alleged Manchester suicide bomber says his son didn't do it. We don't believe in killing innocents, he told the AP. But the father reportedly was a member of an al-Qaeda-backed group in Libya years ago. That, according to a former Libyan security official. Meanwhile, police have carried out raids on a block of apartments in Manchester. Witnesses say they heard explosions. Alan Kinsey was a neighbour of the alleged bomber. The actual family that had been there, I'd, I'd never really come across them in bad ways. It was always, even when I said hello, they never seemed to speak back to you. He was just like, kept themselves to themselves and that was about it. The British putting more military troops on the streets now as police say it's clear this is a network they're investigating. President Trump has arrived in Brussels for NATO meetings after a visit this morning with the Pope at the Vatican. I'm Rita Foley.